In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Ryder. It's always game day in Cleveland, as that big voice just told you. We are back for another season. Uh, we are beyond West Virginia. We are beyond the Hall of Fame game. And now we go into week one, truthfully, because they call the Hall of Fame game week zero, so we'll call this week one. And we've got a little... I don't know, hors d'oeuvres on the side is what we'll call them because of the Johnny Manziel story that is out there now on Netflix, which uh, was eye-opening and not really eye-opening. Again, he's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Daryl, uh, let's start with Johnny Manziel. Let's just go right for the good yeah. stuff. I, after watching, I still can't believe that this all happened back. You know, this goes back to, uh, what was it, 2014 when the Browns drafted him. And here's the thing. Like, he wasn't even the biggest bust in that draft for the Browns. It was Justin Gilbert. Like <laughs> Justin Gilbert was a bigger bust than Johnny was. But yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you, Andy, none of it was surprising uh, as far as like what was revealed in there. But, you know, the combine, his agent, Eric Burkhardt, telling the story about, you know, him just crushing fluids to dilute whatever he did leading up to the combine out of his system. The fact that they were going to fake putting his dad in a hospital so he could have a reason to get out of Indianapolis to – visit you know like unbelievable um but yeah it, even more so unbelievable the browns drafted him traded up to draft him and they screwed over brian hoyer to put him on the field after he watched zero zero minutes of film to prepare for anything like <clears throat> it, it's just the incompetence surrounding that whole situation when you talk about the Browns to this day remains staggering. And even though like the Browns angle really wasn't played up very much in there, I would have loved to hear from Ray Farmer. I would have loved to hear from Mike Pettin or Kyle Shanahan who couldn't get the hell out of here fast enough uh, after that season. I would can't have blame them after watching this again. It can't blame yeah. them. Yeah. But I would have loved to hear from those, those people that were intimately involved in the Browns' decision-making process, right? Right. Uh, but, yeah, the, as far as revelations go, um, really, to me, the only revelation that came out of that, aside from the, the stuff that, like, led, you know, led up to the combine, right? That, right. that I did not realize all that. But um, the, the fact that he talked about putting a gun in his mouth and pulling the trigger and – by God's grace, he's still with us. The the gun did not go off. Um, and, and I think that with the Johnny story, you have, you, you have to separate the two. You have to separate the human being from the failed professional. And I think that it's okay to still be frustrated, disappointed, angry, however you want to phrase it, right? With Johnny Manziel, the professional football player and the opportunity that he completely blew with the Cleveland Browns while at the same time having sympathy, empathy, however you want to describe that for him as a human being dealing with the demons that he dealt with the, you know, the, the, the suicide attempt and things like that. I think you can have compassion for him at the same time. So I agree with everything you just said. I agree with it. Look, I, I mean, I don't, there's no ill will. I think that he and Justin Gilbert were the worst draft in the history of the Browns organization. I think that he was a major mistake. 
for the Browns to take. Although at the time I was along with everybody else. And I had said when they drafted him, he was someone that made our franchise relevant. And he did, he did. He put the Browns on the map and he never had to take a snap about that. And I think, especially watching the beginning of the documentary where it was really all about Texas A&M and what he was able to accomplish in college. It also reminded me that sometimes football, there, there are two things that it reminded me of. One, football might be an overcoached game when you look at Cliff Klingsbury just said, go play. It didn't sound like there was much of a playbook there. It didn't sound like there was much discipline there. It sounded like they said to this kid, here's the ball. We're going to say run pass and you do what you want. And it took them all the way to winning a Heisman. So I think sometimes when we look at this game, we may overthink it. That was the, one of the things that I got in the beginning of it. The other thing is that Johnny Manziel is the epitome of what we all fear when you give a 19, 20-year-old too much money. And you thrust them into adulthood when they're not really there. And they make incredibly bad decisions. And as he explained his lifestyle and where he was going and the rock stars he was meeting and the places he was going and the ability to take money for signing autographs when you weren't allowed to, he still did it anyway, and got the cash for it so he didn't pay tax on it, right? Um, you can't, You can't dismiss what goes through the mind of a, a unbelievably talented athlete who has money in their hands and has power. And so I get it. Like, I understand how this went down the path that it did. The biggest part was, was the, of the transition to the Browns was, as you watched every team bypass him in that first round, they all knew it. But yet the Browns didn't. And that, I think, is the most bothersome thing that I got. <clears throat> I, I still need to watch the end of it, but, you know, three quarters of it. And I still can't believe the Browns drafted him. And we all knew this yeah. and they knew it too. And they thought they could change the world. And man, I felt bad for Mike Pettin. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, and, and Brian Hoyer. Yeah. Really and Brian Hoyer. the offensive lineman that he had that had 35 pro bowl or all pro mentions. Ridiculous. Yeah. It, uh, I, that whole year seems surreal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the fact that they s essentially scuttle the season to sell jerseys in the team shop. Let, let's be honest about it. That's Brian Hoyer said that on our show last yeah. week. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what they did. Um, and that's why Kyle Shanahan left. Not going to invest your time and energy in somebody that wasn't prepared to be a professional. And again, you, you, can, you, you have to separate the human being from the professional. Johnny Manziel, the human being, my heart goes out to him. I hope that he has found peace and love and happiness in his life and that he is able to be a healthy, happy human being for the remainder of his time on earth. But at the same time, on the flip side of that coin, the professional, I have no sympathy for him. He screwed up royally. He blew a golden opportunity, um, put no effort into it. Um, the, the fact that, you know, it was revealed in the documentary said, I knew almost instantaneously I was going to be unhappy in Cleveland. And the reason why he was going to be unhappy in Cleveland was because he was going to have to work. Let, let's be honest about it, right? He was being held accountable. 
Right. They were trying to hold and him accountable. He, and, and, and I think that this is a cautionary tale, too, for a lot of parents and a lot of coaches when you're dealing with young, talented athletes, right? Because let's be honest about it, when you're dealing with young, talented men and women at, at, from an athletic standpoint, they're put on the pedestal, right? They're, they're winning the awards and the trophies and championships and things like that. And I, I think that there's a reluctance to really uh, coach and discipline those the, the, those young men and women. And I think that Johnny Manziel is a cautionary tale of what happens when you do not do that, when you do not set boundaries, when you do not set expectations, when you do not uh, you know, put them in their place when they need to be put in their place, when you do not coach them hard, right? And I think that that's a big root cause of what led Johnny Manziel down the path that he went down. There was no accountability. He could do whatever he wanted. He knew he could do whatever he wanted. Now, I'm a thousand percent in his corner when he talked about, hey, you know, I'm looking around this stadium and I'm seeing all I'm seeing my jersey going off the shelves like hotcakes in the in the in the school uh, bookstore or team shop or whatever. I ain't seeing any of that money. And I, I, I totally agree with him. He's a hundred percent right to have a complaint with that. Um, but at the same time. You do have to follow rules, and he was somebody that was unwilling, uh, you know, to, to to follow rules. And and you know, he, the, the folks around him, I think, enabled him to a degree. Uh, his agent enabled him for a while, especially you know, because his agent, Eric Burkhart, was talking. My job is to get him drafted in the first round, and so I got to do whatever I got to do to get my guy drafted. So whether that means I got to help him mask drug tests or get him out of the combine and come up with some concocted story about my uh, uh, dad is in the hospital or whatever, just to prevent teams from being able to investigate further. And then the other part of it is, is like Johnny's issues off the field were not a well kept secret. They were well known. And, and the fact that the Browns were willing to turn a blind eye, but as I said earlier, the sad thing is, or as messed up as that 2014 draft was, he wasn't even the biggest bust. It was the corner they took at the top 10, Justin Gilbert. He was the bust. That guy couldn't set an alarm clock to save his life. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um, yeah, it's it 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 was um it was a good documentary. It wasn't great because again, I don't feel like it was deep enough. I don't think it was expansive enough, especially on the on the the Browns angle. And they well, saw- hold that thought, then, Daryl. I want you to tell me when we come back what they missed and what should have been said in that piece that wasn't. It's always game day in Cleveland. Mobile sports betting is finally legal here in Ohio, and BetQL is here to help make you the most informed bets possible. See all of today's winners by heading to BetQL.com or by downloading the BetQL app and claim your free three-day trial today. Head to BetQL.com slash news slash 92.3 The Fan for exclusive sportsbook offers. He's there, a writer. I'm Andy Baskin. We're talking about the documentary about Johnny Manziel. Right now, we're going to get into some camp notes here and get ready for Washington here in a moment. Um, Daryl, let's... Uh... Let's move on. What did the Brown like? What should have been told from the Brown side of the story that wasn't? We needed to hear from Ray Farmer. He he was the GM that drafted him, right? We needed to hear what happened uh, behind the scenes in that draft room. We needed to hear the homeless guy story. Uh, we just I, I feel like that whole part was left out. They kind of 
tried to rush through some of the off the field incidents, right? Some of the accusations that were made against him. Remember the traffic stop? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, the, the incident down in Texas. I feel like they just kind of like crammed that into the final five minutes of the documentary. Um, and I just, I felt like it needed to be more expansive. They did a great job with the Texas A&M stuff and leading up to the draft, but I would have liked a lot more behind the scenes when it came to the Cleveland Browns, their research into him, their involvement, their trading up to get him the decision-making process that went on there. Uh, and also too, besides him just admitting, yeah, I never bothered to like watch my iPad at all. And, and I, I just I, I would have liked to see some more expansiveness when you talk about what went on in the building behind the scenes with Johnny and the Browns that ultimately led to his demise. Because remember, the first game he started, like it, it felt like the offensive line was like, all right, dude, it's all you. You're, you're Johnny football. Go get him. And then he just like had his ass kicked for 60 minutes. Right. I don't right. if I remember correctly. They lost that game 30 to nothing to the Bengals and the offense didn't cross midfield. If I remember correctly, like, it, I mean, it really was an ass kicking. And uh, I, I feel like that was a message that was sent to him. And it, and it, and it just, it still, I don't feel like resonated with him. You know what I mean? Like it didn't like wake him up at all. And again, I am separating the human aspect and my sympathy and empathy as a fellow human being for him with the demons he was dealing with. And he was dealing with a lot of demons, substance abuse and, and whatnot. Um, and, 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 uh, versus being a professional, having, uh, talent, right. Doing nothing to accentuate and, and, and improve upon your talent. And at the same time, screwing over the franchise, uh, that took the chance on you and screwing over the fans who all ran, to the team store to buy your Jersey. Right. And you know, do, you know, Johnny football, get our Johnny football stuff. So um, I, I do feel like there's two separate distinctions, but yeah, that the documentary should have been a little more expansive there as far as some of the behind the scenes machinations when it came to him being drafted by the Browns and then also uh, more expansive on uh, just how much he was screwing up behind the scenes. So, Daryl, what did you learn that you didn't know? Like the 0.0 iPad moments, I didn't know that exactly. And, I mean, I think it just kind of reiterated all those stories that we knew. The the Vegas trip one was unbelievable because I know when I was working local TV, somebody sent me a picture of his boarding pass coming back from Vegas. And I was just like, yep, not surprised. Yeah, um, I would say the 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 the, the I, I look. I knew and I had heard the stories about his unprofessionalism, the napping, and and not being prepared in meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Right? I had heard those stories. Um, I did not know he just never bothered to watch film in a, on his free time. That that was revelatory. I mentioned earlier uh, about the suicide attempt. That was jarring to me. Um, that that was horrifying uh, to see and hear him speak about. Um, uh, the combine thing though, that was, that was, you know, the fact that they were basically getting as much fluid through his body to try and flush whatever he had put in his system the week before. And then the machinations about, Hey, we're going to fake pretend dad is sick and in the hospital. So we can just get Johnny the hell out of Indianapolis. And he has to go see a sick, you know, his, you know, sick family member. Um, those were the, those were the big. I didn't know it moments, the rest of it, you know, the autograph stuff, 
maybe the cash and volume realized like you made like 30 grand or whatever. Every uh, trip. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize the volume of cash that was involved. Uh, I knew about his disdain for the NCAA and wanting the piece of the pie and, and his resentment for building uh, that football program at Texas A&M up, right. Uh, and putting them on the map and, and really not being able to personally profit from that. Um, so yeah, th- those, those were my big takeaways from the doc. All right, Daryl, let's move forward into camp because the team is back and we will see the starters uh, in the first, uh, I'm sorry, in game number one of preseason uh, because the Browns keep calling the Hall of Fame game game zero, which I think is awesome. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. So uh, your thoughts on this uh, first game and uh, we will see Deshaun Watson at the helm to start the game at least. Yeah, uh, Deshaun's going to start. I am guesstimating that he's going to play between 12 and 15 snaps. Uh, which that equates to one or two series. Uh, I think if it's a 10-play, 75-yard drive, and they score a touchdown, he's done for the night. Uh, If it's a three and out, well, he's going to come back out for a a second crack at it. If it's two three and outs, I think he's going to come out for a third. Um, But uh, uh, they got to get him on the field. Just It's different how they run practice. And again, this isn't a criticism. This is just, you know, the fans have been out to training camp. They've seen it. Like, these practices haven't been a whole lot. I I mean, they've been like 90 minutes long tops, uh, very minimal contact, even when they're in pads. Um, Obviously you're never touching the quarterback in a practice, uh, but it's just, it's different, right? It's different when you're in a preseason game. So I think he needs those preseason reps. I'm going to be curious to see what they do against Kansas city. If they put him back out there, because if they don't, you're looking at one month between Friday night's game and then the season opener, September 10th, against Cincinnati that, they, that these starters have been on the field. Also, there are going to be some guys that um, they they are not going to play. So I think Miles Garrett might not play. I think Nick Chubb might not play. You know what I mean? Like, there may be a couple of guys that don't play, but Deshaun and the offensive line will absolutely be out there along with some other members of the starting cast. So you're saying offensive line, you think even Jack Conklin will probably play? Yeah, you, you have to. You, 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 I, well, I don't know about Jack Conklin, but I, you have to put your starting offensive line out there because how, how can you not? How can you put your franchise $46 million starting quarterback? I agree. Totally agree. W- without putting his protective unit with him. How about Amari Cooper um, and the wide receiving core? Yeah, sure. Give Amari Cooper a series or something like that. Just to, you know, have the, you know, get the blood pump and things like that. Uh, same thing with Elijah Moore. And then you get them out real fast, right? Because they, they've got evaluations they need to do. Uh, they've had, they've been dealing with some injuries at that particular position throughout training camp. We all know the Marquise Goodwin situation and, and the blood clots. Uh, unfortunately, I, look, um, I'm not optimistic that we will see him again. That That's my opinion, and I want to stress that that's my opinion. I mean, blood clots basically ended Chris Bosch's career, right? And he, right. Had, blood, he had blood clots in the two places you don't want them, your legs and your lungs. That's very, very serious business. So I'm not optimistic there, which means there's a roster spot open. Um, not a great debut in the Hall of Fame game for uh, Anthony Schwartz. So maybe the Schwartz will be with him, and he'll do something in this particular game. Um, but yeah, you know, this Watkins kid that they signed, um, you know, flashed a little bit in the hall of fame game. I, you know, caught that touchdown pass from DTR. Uh, I, I think opportunity knocks room. They've got a wide receiver job or two that is for the taking here. So, uh, you don't need a lot of burn with, uh, Elijah Moore and Amari Cooper, but the other guys with Deshaun, sure. Get them some burn. All right. When we come back, we'll return here in a moment. I want to talk about position battles that are emerging a little bit more new faces that are coming in, and injuries. It's always game day in Cleveland. 
It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. How do the Browns look on the injury front? Because they've had to go out and get some replacements on that defensive end spot, especially on the right defensive end spot. Daryl, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're banged up. Greg Newsom, Jalen Darden. We talked about Goodwin already. Harrison Bryant. Don't know what's going on with him. Matthew Adams, Jerome Ford with a hamstring injury. I'll give you a quick update on him in a second because uh, I, I was able to speak to someone in the organization there. Um, you know, I, 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 Isaiah Thomas, Alex Wright, as we know, they had arthroscopic surgery. Um, they, they brought in a defensive end this week. They then went ahead and on uh, Thursday uh, made official the addition of Shelby Harris, the defensive tackle, which I think is huge. Because now that pushes Jordan Elliott back into a reserve role. And to me, it's Shelby Harris and Dalvin Tomlinson now are your new starting defensive tackles. Because um, in the middle of that defensive line, I, I wasn't all that sold with sold on, I should say, especially from a depth standpoint going forward. So they are banged up, no question about it. But, um, you know, uh, there is time for them to kind of, Get ready for the season opener and get some of these guys back on the field. Talk about the front four now, because it, I mean, I know Jordan Elliott was penciled in, but when you look at Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith on the outside, Delvin Tomlinson, and Shelby Harris on the inside, it looks a whole lot better, especially knowing that you've got Double O sitting on the other side, and even Alex Wright too as the, as your other backup. At, well, Wright's out. He's he had arthroscopic surgery. Oh, I'm sorry. Not, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> With Isaiah Thomas also getting hurt, but I I don't know how bad that arthroscopic surgery to really keep him out. Do you? Yeah, it's going to. Sometimes you can come back quick from that. Beginning of the season, so they're they're not going to be available for a little bit. Right. Good point. All right. So what do you do? Is what's your fourth backup then? Jeremiah Martin. Probably. I mean, I'm just trying to. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I I think that. Uh, when you look at defensive ends, obviously, as you mentioned, it, it's Garrett and it's Zadarius Smith. Oh, I say yeah, and I, I'm going to say, uh, you know, Isaiah McGuire or, yeah. Chuck, you know, Chuck Wiley. They brought him in this week, earlier this week, too. So I think he goes in the mix. So, um, And, Daryl, I think the only reason I'm going so deep on this with you and maybe names that people we haven't really talked about and gone is because I fully expect, Jim Schwartz will be moving these guys in so quick that you're, yes. you may see them for a play, maybe not see them for a little bit, then come back and see them again. That's what the offense or the defense is going to look like, right? Yeah, it, it is a uh, – it, it is a – the goal is just to keep the legs fresh up front. Um, and there's going to be a significant amount of rotation uh, involved in that, right? So um, they, they've got to uh, – I, I think, you know – I think that Andrew Berry did a nice job this week, bringing in some reinforcements for the defensive line. Um, and, you know, to get Harris, like at this point right now, who was pretty productive last season, um, I, I think that that's a, a pretty significant get uh, for Andrew Berry. When you look at his production um, last season, um, you know, 15 starts for Seattle. He had a couple of sacks, some QB hits, TFLs. Broke up four passes at the at the line of scrimmage as well. It just it shows you how active he was up front. Now they weren't big numbers over those fifteen starts for Seattle, but they were impactful. He, he made some impactful plays. And 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 let's be honest about it, Andy. That that defensive front last year was not good. Outside of Miles Garrett, no, it wasn't. It, and, and that leads me to my next point: the linebackers, Wu Walker, Taki Taki. 
like it's been refreshing to hear. And I, I keep using that word overcome defense because I'm, I'm, I'm invigorated by what Schwartz has instilled in these guys. I don't know if we're going to see it on the field hundred percent, right. but I feel like the linebackers have a new lease on life. Like, I think they feel like they have a purpose. I think they feel like that they're going to be able to play the game the way it was taught and the way they were learned that the linebackers will have more of an influence in the game. I, I don't, I just, I'm expecting more, especially because I don't think the bar is very high for our linebackers over the last couple of years to have major impact in the game. Yeah, I, I don't know what major impact, to your point, they're going to have. I just feel like that they're going to – Well, if to- they don't blitz, then it's just a matter of making sure that we're not giving up first downs. That's right. the major impact I'm looking for. Yeah, um, because of this the, this wide nine uh, scheme that he runs up front with the defensive line, there's just such an onus on these guys to win their one-on-one matchups up front, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and there's there's less thinking. That was, I think, the biggest problem with Joe Woods last year is guys were forced to think way too much. And they, they suffered a paralysis by analysis in the middle of plays, right? Mm-hmm. Because how I view one play is going to be completely different from how you would view a play, right? And exactly. So, and, and when you have stuff like that, and that's just natural, there's going to be miscommunication and screw-ups. And we saw that time and time again. So, you know, listening to the players on that side of the football, like, yeah, Jim Schwartz is intense and he gets after them and things like that, but they are really legitimately excited because he's accentuating what they're doing best. Like, the you know, Denzel Ward is a man-to-man corner. He's not a cover three or whatever corner. He is a me versus you guy. And, and, and that, that's what they have in the secondary. And those guys are going to be able to play a lot of man-to-man and be responsible for either shutting down the receiver or tight end or running back that they're charged with covering or getting them on the ground as quickly as possible. All right, let's talk about the kicking game for a second because I think there are fans that are a little bit unnerved about Cade York. But, I, again, like I said last podcast, and I've been saying on the air all week, it's one kick. I think we're living in the the kind of the shakes of last year, and I don't want to see this team lose a game because of a kicker, and I think that's something the fans are, are really harping on. Um, I, I don't see a problem with bringing in another leg to camp just for the competition, but, you know, I think this is a week where Cade York, all he has to do is go out there and make his kicks and shuts everybody up, and he can move forward, and then if he does it again the next week, all the critics go away. Yeah, I mean – the 49-yard miss in the Hall of Fame game, I, I get I mean, he didn't hit it well, and it, it tailed on him. But here's the thing. Like, for the fans that are criticizing the Browns right now, they are putting him in practice, Andy, in simulated pressure situations. And what I mean by that is they're putting him in, in situations where it's a hurry-up offense. They're running the field goal unit onto the field, quote-unquote, closing seconds of a game on the line type of situation. And he's making all of his kicks in those situations. And these aren't like 25 yard field goals. He's kicking. I mean, just the other day, he made a 44 yarder and he made a 47 yarder in those, in those, like literally the offense, complete a pass, race up, kill the clock, run the field goal unit on there, get the kick away. Like he has been successful there. So I don't know in the Browns defense, like I don't know what else they can do to test him or whatever, right? And, and I get it. Like, I, I, I totally get it. He missed, what, eight field goals last year. Uh, he missed the Hall of Fame game field goal. 
but like, I, I just, I think that the organization is doing everything they can to put him in a position to be successful and to prepare him for pressure cooker situations. And he's, if, if he's doing it in practice, right. And, and let's be honest about when you're judging who's making your football team, Practice weighs heavily. You're constantly, coaches in front office, you're dissecting that practice film time and time again. And if the guy is doing what he's supposed to be doing in practice and having that success in those quote-unquote pressure situations, I just, I don't know how much bitching and complaining you can do at the Cleveland Browns right now. Um, now, if the, the Washington game comes and he misses a couple of kicks in that, then yeah, I will hear got to think about bringing in another leg for camp. But if he goes out Friday night against Washington and he makes his kicks, Andy, I, what, what are they supposed to do? You see what I'm saying? And keep in mind, they have a draft. They, they invested a mid round draft pick in this guy. Fourth right. or fifth round pick, you know, like, so you're not going to bail on him that easy. And there are a lot of kickers that early in their careers, it takes them a little bit to figure it out. And unfortunately, a lot of those guys, they've had to have a change of scenery to do that. But Right now, I just can't fault the Browns for sticking with the guy and giving him an opportunity to be successful. Now, all that being said, this is a put-up-or-shut-up year, and the last thing the Cleveland Browns can afford is have their kicker screw it up by missing kicks, missing critical, critical kicks. So if he comes out struggling, then 100% they're going to have to make a change because you cannot lose games because your kicker can't get it over the crossbar and through the posts. Hmm. All right. He's Darrell Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin for our producer, Meredith Kane. Thanks for being on board with us for this edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. We'll be back with a Washington recap, and we'll look ahead to the city of brotherly love when the Browns head to Philadelphia next week. That's on the next edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to, why don't you subscribe to the podcast, and you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GameDayCLE. It's always game day in Cleveland.